Eric Clapton, we're back to this is a podcast. It's very few times that I get to say a podcast has been years in the making. Um, obviously, I just had David Icon, and that was probably, I mean, at least two years in the making. I hadn't reached out to him because I just wanted to really dive into David's work. Over the last two years, since I'd, I'd been listening to him on London Real and his talks on transhumanism and all sorts of shit, but there was so much I just didn't want to be true that I was like, meh, maybe one day. And... Um, See, when I had David on, I was like, oh, this is legit years in the making. I've fucking been diving into this guy's work for the last two years solid. Everything that he said prior to that has come to fruition. And um, yeah, it was years in the making. And it was dope. I love that fucking episode. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. I think it's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, Obviously, I'm a homer. But that's one of my favorite episodes I've ever heard with what uh, the type of content David brought out. This episode is also years in the making, and I'll say that for multiple reasons. Tim Kennedy and my path have crossed multiple times. Thankfully, I never had to look across from him in an octagon. Um, Big thankfully, not because he's my buddy, but because he's a fucking ferocious, oversized Tasmanian devil. And uh, yeah, (laughs) I've been a fan of Tim's for a very long time. Um, When I first got to On It, you know, four years ago, um, I immediately went through on its sponsored roster and people that were homies, you know, the friends of the family at on it. And Tim was one of those guys, you know, they have four bands. They've consolidated. There used to be like all these jerseys and fight gloves and, um, signed hockey sticks and shit like that all throughout the walls here at on it. And I always thought like, man, this is cool. And then they consolidated it down to four. It's just Joe Rogan, Tim Kennedy, I think Michelle Watterson and, um, forget the homie from uh, former DB for the Seahawks. And that's it. That's it now. And so it's really, it was Rogan and Kennedy. You know, like Kennedy uh, still has his flag flying high here at On It, and I still record here at Aubrey Marcus's um, office frequently. We recorded here today. I'm doing the ad reads here right now. And um, the way I see it, it's years in the making is because, you know, I've always wanted to know Tim. Even when my teammate, Luke Rockhold, fought Tim, I love Tim. You know, he's just one of those guys who's like, fuck yeah. I mean, a lot, he's polarizing in many ways. Some people are like, this guy's too much. Who the fuck is he? And you're like, oh, he's some, you know, special ops, fucking crazy MMA fighter, whatever. When you get to know Tim, you see brilliance. It's the first thing I notice about him is an attention to detail. And this is true amongst a lot of special ops guys and, and quite a few more fighters than most people understand. But He's just someone I want to be around. He's got a magnetism. Um, he has the ability to make me feel safe. <laughs> and I'm 6'3", 230 pounds with professional fight experience. Um, but there's there's something about him, you know, and, and he's a father and a husband and a fucking teddy bear. Um, so uh, just amazing qualities that I've always seen in this guy. And when I lived here, you know, he invited me to go shooting and I'm like, oh, I got a Glock. Can I run home? He's like, yeah, go ahead, man. We'll be at the range. So they meet up with them, get some training in with him. And Jeff Gonzalez, the lead instructor there, former Navy SEAL, who's who's uh, been on the podcast as well. Just a, tremendous people I've been able to meet through Tim. Uh, I did Tim Kennedy's Sheepdog course, uh, the basic, you know, um, beginner's level and learned a fuck ton in two and a half days. I highly, highly recommend it for people. Um, no matter what your level of experience is, you will learn something in that, whether it's, um, in the half day debriefing on the why and the execution to, 
Um, what are the acronyms and the nomenclature of things that you're expected to learn and know by the end of that? How do you, what is your normal operating frequency? Are you, you know, switched off on your phone? Like same level of consciousness as when you sleep, or are you aware of your surroundings? You know, many of these things that I, that I thought were fascinating and useful. I never knew would, whoo, man, I never knew it would mean so much to me in my personal life. And, um, you know, this podcast, we go pretty fucking deep. It is not surprising to me that we have not podcasts until now. And, you know, that comes out in the podcast. It's pretty hard for me to keep it together as I tell a story of something that happened to my family and I within the last week, uh, right at our house, you know, right down the street from our house in our neighborhood. Um, powerful podcast, one of my all-time favorites. Tim, one of my all-time favorite humans. I love you, brother. Thank you for being who you are. And um, thank you for teaching what you know, because it's one thing to hold that power in your hands and know that you can protect your own ass. It's another thing to say, this is my mission to help create sovereign people that can look out for the people who cannot, not, can, cannot look out for themselves. Um, he's giving gifts that uh, are unquantifiable. It is un quantifiable, the value of having my family remain intact. And I thank you for that, Tim. There are a number of ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, leave us a five-star rating or just share it with your homies. Take less time, hit the copy link button and just share it with your friends on iTunes, YouTube, whatever. We have not been on YouTube <laughs> for very obvious reasons, um, but just share it with your friends. Spotify, we're on there. That's an easy one everyone seems to have. And check out our sponsors. I mean, they make a world of difference, um, an absolute world of difference. They make this show possible and they are the reason we get to keep this show going financially. Check it out. We are brought to you by, this is a long one, amazon.com slash optimal carnivore. Amazon.com slash optimal carnivore will be linked to in the show notes. Kingsboo 10 is the code you're going to use to receive 10% off all products. These guys are phenomenal. And I've been talking about organ meats for years as one of the most important things to consume in your diet, whether it's supplement form or the real deal. The crux of any habit change is, is it convenient and easy? Or does it taste like shit and you'll never want to try it again? I mean, that's really the question we have around organs. And although I can palate raw liver and cooked liver when it's mixed in an organ log, that's different, like liverwurst, Braunschweiger, head cheese, those are consumables that I find much more palatable, but pick any organ, especially like kidneys and, and uh, you know, spleen and different things like that. It's, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of any of them, even though I know the science behind them. I know the micronutrient content. I know the feeling that it gives me when I consume it. It's still very hard for me to do. And if it's hard for me to do, it's probably hard for most of you to do, unless there's a couple hunters on here that are used to just eating raw heart and raw testicle. I've done it. Um, most of you are not in that category. And yet we still all need bioavailable micronutrients, meaning, you know, heme iron, one of the most bioavailable forms of iron. That means your body will utilize it rapidly for red blood cells to carry oxygen. It will use it rapidly to help the body heal. It'll use it rapidly to help carry oxygen where it's needed to the brain and to the tissues as you work out. Your body wants usable iron. What it does not want is to have to take really poor forms of elemental iron from your greens like spinach and kale and things like that, and then convert that. That's a very costly process. Um, so with that, take your supplements, son. 100% grass-fed organ meats are from New Zealand. They freeze-dry the organs and encapsulate them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. 
They chose New Zealand because it's a pure source, a pristine land with rich soil, luscious greenery, and one of the cleanest environments on earth. These are grass-fed and grass-finished, 100%, free of hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, and genetically modified organisms. I just picked this. It's one of my favorites. It's their, it's their nine different organ, organ complex. So currently, the grass-fed organ complex has nine different organs, and they've got a liver product, which is phenomenal for energy and liver function and a whole host of other things. But I just like getting the nine organs because I'm not going to eat all these. So and it's, this includes beef liver, brain, thymus, heart, kidney, spleen, pancreas, lung, and gallbladder. You're covering all the bases with, uh, with these capsules. And they're easy to break down. It's not like a hard-pressed horse pill tablet. You know, you consume a handful of, of capsules with food in the morning, and you're going to feel different, especially over time as your body begins to adapt, soak in these micronutrients. You will feel the difference. Check it all out. Visit amazon.com slash optimal carnivore and use code KINGSBOO10 to receive 10% off all products there. We're also brought to you by Organifi.com slash KKP. I had Organifi founder Drew Canoli on the podcast. He is truly a soul brother, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. He knows exactly what time it is, and he is, while simultaneously holding all that is dark, he is consistently working for ways to improve our quality of life, our connection to the earth, the health of our environment that we live in, and the health of the environment of the body that we inhabit. And, uh, you know, these guys started out with a grassroots movement, really teaching people about what health and wellness was, teaching people about juicing and getting more bioavailable nutrients in through the juicing process. And of course, over time, and, and much like with myself, you realize, well, these are pretty fucking high in carbohydrates. Is there a way we can skirt that while still making the greens taste good? Can we add in some superfoods and make it taste even better and make it even more nutritious than anything we'd find at the store to juice with? And the answer was yes. They created Organifi Greens. It is a supplement that I take every single day. I mix it with Kratom or I don't. It's something I take no matter what. It has 600, a 600 milligram dose of ashwagandha. That is a whopper of an adaptogenic herb that has been used for thousands of years in Ayurvedic medicine. Adaptogenic meaning if you're cracked out, it's going to calm you. If you're calm, it's going to help awaken you. And it doesn't matter when you take it. In the morning, in the midday, in the evening, it's always a benefit to take ashwagandha. Um, there's a whole host of other great things. Moringa, as well as many other micronutrients and superfoods are found in this. Um, I absolutely love it. I've been taking more recently. I've been a little bit more diligent on the Organifi Red Drink. The Reds have a whole host of amazing things, including, but not limited to, some adaptogenic mushrooms like Cordyceps Sinensis that gives you more energy and feeds the mitochondria. And Organifi Red is just phenomenal as a pre-workout. It's something I take uh, before, during, or after workouts to help me with recovery and performance. And it's just a great, tasty drink that goes down easy. You know, again, with any of these products, there's no chopping, shopping, and cleaning. You just throw a scoop or two into a shaker, shake it up, and boom, you're good to go. Check it all out at Organifi.com. Get the greens, get the reds, get the gold. Organifi.com slash KKP, and then use code KKP at checkout for 20% off. You're going to love it. And we're also brought to you by magbreakthrough.com slash kingsboo. That is magbreakthrough.com slash kingsboo. If you'd like a shortcut to better sleep, more energy, and a calmer, more stable mood, then you should make sure you're supplementing with magnesium daily. Let me tell you why. About 75% of people are magnesium deficient. This deficiency can lead to higher levels of anxiety, irritability, trouble sleeping, and low energy. It can even contribute to foot and leg cramps while you sleep. Anybody who's done the ketogenic diet can attest to that. Now, you might be wondering, does magnesium really affect all these things? Well, the answer is yes. In fact, magnesium is involved in more than 300 chemical processes inside your body. 
So a lot of different things they can start to go wrong if you're deficient. If you want to know more about this, check out the podcast, the last one that I did with Wade Lightheart, uh, one of the two founders of Bioptimizers. We dive directly into this magnesium piece. They use multiple forms here to help cover all the bases. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, health-enhancing effects. That's why I choose Magnesium Breakthrough. You take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by the improvements in your mood and energy levels. And how much more rested you feel when you wake up. Check it all out, magbreakthrough.com slash kingsboot, and use kingsboot10 during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping. Kingsboot10 is in all caps, number one, number zero. So all caps, kingsboot10, and uh, check the link in the show notes here for magbreakthrough.com slash kingsboot. Last but not least... We're brought to you by Lucy.co. Lucy is a phenomenal way to get started with the world's greatest nootropic, nicotine. Nicotine is the world's greatest nootropic. Uh, I've talked about it on many podcast episodes. Uh, it has long been used as the original teacher plant. Uh, Tobaqueros is what they were called in the Amazon. They worked with nicotina rustica in many different forms uh, all across the Amazon from mapacho cigarettes and cigars down in Peru to Ambil, which is where they cook 100 kilos down to one kilo of tobacco paste, effectively making one of the most strongest versions of it. Uh, you simply touch your tongue to it, and voila, you're in tobacco land. Um, and then, of course, hape is found all throughout Brazil and many other places in the Amazon as a phenomenal tobacco snuff. All of these are amazing ways to consume organic versions of nicotine. But they're also not that convenient. You know, you can't jump on an airplane and blow tobacco powder up your nose without a little bit running down and maybe a sneeze or some coughing and some eye watering. Uh, it might some un- un- draw, draw some unwanted attention to you is what I'm getting at. So nicotine gum becomes one of the most easy and effective ways to increase cognitive function, to aid in learning assistant, meaning while I'm reading, I'm consuming nicotine. While I'm podcasting, I'm consuming nicotine. While I'm listening to Audible, I'm, con- I'm uh, consuming nicotine. And when I do that, it turns my brain on. There is a dopamine response. It feels good. Dr. Andrew Huberman talked about that dopamine response being critical for learning. If it feels good, our body and brain and our nervous system will remember it easier. And then, of course, if we can go to bed at night and sleep, we will start to categorize these things and shift them from the short-term random access, random access memory into long-term memory, where we actually have something we can access on a regular basis. Check it all. Lucy.co, L-U-C-Y dot CO, use promo code KKP. Um, what else here? A nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember that warning, warning, warning. Nicotine is addictive. And it is something that I say yes to, even in the face of that, because of the power of this amazing plant. Check it all out, lucy.co, and use promo code KKP at checkout. Without further ado, my brother and dear friend, Tim Kennedy. Yeah, he's, these people... Oh, I like this office. It always just feels my office is different. Yeah, you need to. You just cannot wait. To I want to check it out. Yeah. yeah, I can't fucking wait. I'll it's be like there. big, huge elk, bunch of war stuff. The founding of the Green Berets, the, the OSS. Like it's fuck yeah. It's, it's got a it's yeah. got a good vibe. It's got a good vibe. Yeah. Well, I liked any anywhere. Anytime you go somewhere and you could tell like somebody's really put thought and energy into the environment that they're creating. Yeah. You know, like like this is like all of the things that have impacted Ob from, you know, the Native Americans to, there's a super dope book on indigenous tribes. You know, it's, I think it's something like um, 
before they're forgotten. And so it's like modern photos of all the tribes that are left, all the indigenous oh, that are left yeah. on earth. It's fucking Samurai right. sword. Yeah, Kimono. Samurai sword, the Bushido. And yeah, then he's the got- you know, Original the, on it. All the OG line. on it stuff. Yeah. And then all the Amazonian art, you know? Yeah. So it's it's a it's definitely a vibe. We're we're making a studio right now, right off Congress, where we'll be able to handle because you know this is our office space for the fit for service team now. In selling on it, Aubrey kept it, so we'd still have a home base. Yeah, but we're podcasting now, so all the rest of the team can fuck off. <laughs> they're, 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 that's and that's unfortunate, yeah. right? So we'll have that just for podcasts, and then this will be a, a place where anybody can meet any time of day and not worry about South Congress or Congress. Yeah, oh, yep. cool. South Congress, right off, right off the the Ben White. So right. super easy to get to. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I mean, it's been four, five. It's been five years since I moved here. I wanted you on from the jump, and I think you just gone on Aubrey's podcast, and it was like, oh, okay, I'll give some space there, so that where there's not fucking. There's been a, an odd number of times where we've released the same guest in the same week. Yeah. And it was like, all right, we can do better about spacing yeah, that out. Yeah. But here we are, dude. I mean, I've, and it's and it's perfect because you've got, you always have a lot on your plate, like period. That's just fucking, there's no breaks in yeah. you. Um, but you got a lot that's coming out right now. And you've been up to a lot. And I've been able to participate in one of the sheepdog courses, which just fucking blew me away and was so rad. And I want to talk about that. But considering this is your first time on my show, Talk about life growing up. Talk about what drove you to become the person that you are today. I had a, an odd life uh, growing up. My dad was a narcotics officer and um, he, he, he was revolutionary and, and, and really broke the mold about how we would approach drugs. Um, he, you know, he didn't care. When you look back at the the 70s, 80s, and 90s where they're like doing big dope buys of marijuana. You know, he's he's looking at meth. He's looking at heroin. He's looking at, you know, the cartels. Not not even that he cared about Coke, but Coke was funding the cartels uh, like Pablo Escobar. Like this is peak war on drugs. And, um, you know, this is a father that had a red phone in a closet that if we answered, you know, like we'd, we'd have cover stories about what my dad was doing. Um, and, uh, you know, cause most cops work really easy hours. So it'd be really easy for a drug dealer to call a cop's number. And, you know, if he's not there from nine to five or during a shift work, cool, I got a cop, right? Um, so super simple. Whereas if he's calling this red phone, we would be like, oh, my dad's outside barbecuing right now. Even, even though if he's out doing a surveillance or a buy and, um, you know, my brother and I, six, seven, eight years old, going into car garages, opening glove boxes to pull out names of of who owned the car because my dad couldn't get a warrant to get in there. And he <laughs> wanted to know, which ultimately would lead to a warrant, you know, flying to Costa Rica to take a plane full of cocaine from Pablo Escobar and flying it to the United States. Like this is way before Fast and Furious where then they distributed said cocaine and then arrested all of the purchasers and distributors on the United States side and not lost a gram of cocaine. Like this is legit early police work where he would take meth. He was a brilliant chemist in undergrad before he even went to law enforcement and figured out how to make meth. We, we had an entire chemistry meth lab at my house and he would be able to figure out, oh, kid, I, 
I could use pseudomedifrin to replace this ingredient and I can buy that over the counter. So all the things that we know now in 2022 about like how much NyQuil pills I can buy, they're limited for a reason. And that was because of legislation that my dad really spearheaded to be able to protect people from from really dangerous drugs. Um, That's a weird thing to to have that be normal as a, you know, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, where I remember so clearly my sister's in a car seat. So that puts me at five years old. We're at a mall in Pasadena, California. And um, when they styled malls, <laughs> we hear this, this blood curdling scream. And uh, my dad and my mom are in the front seat. It's dark. My dad was there for the California Narcotics Officers Conference where he's the only two-time president of it. He still works for them in a consulting way. And um, a woman was being assaulted in the parking lot. And my dad just looks at my mom and says, I'll be right back. And without a moment of hesitation, like he was already looking at the interaction. And then when the assault starts, you know, it was, I'll be right back. Just so casual, so effortless to walk into darkness, to not knowing, does this guy have a gun? Does this guy have a knife? His three kids are in the back seat. His wife is sitting right next to him. And that is what is shaping me as, a, as you know, the, a prepubescent a child. As, you know, like this is what's shaping my mind. And every human has unique experiences and those collective experiences shape how they view the world. Well, I have a weird view of the world because of how I was shaped. And um, that led all the way to my first real job being a firefighter EMT. And even that is extraordinary. You know, being, being an 18 year old firefighter EMT on a multiple casualty incident with women and children strolling across the highway in a nightmare scene, half of which are dead. Um, I'm 18, right? Like my frontal lobe has not developed and will not develop for another 10 years, but I'm, I'm still in the mix of this running up hills that are on fire with a, with a bag of, of, uh, protection. That's a little tiny aluminum blanket and a shovel, you know, and that's, that's (laughs) what I have. Um, so yeah, man, I was, I was made different. (laughs) Yeah. There's no doubt. No doubt. Um, when did you, when did you go into the military? Oh, when man. did you decide that? And when did you get into MMA? Like where, where how do these overlap together? So I started doing martial arts young. It's the same vein of being a protector and, and you know, having a dad and all of his friends, all of his friends are very much like my dad. I was surrounded by just incredible men. I, I walked down halls of giants every morning from, you know, Bud Silva to Mr. Cunningham. Uh, I, could, I can't even call him Lee but Lee Cunningham. And uh, I wanted to be like them, you know, and, and they could kick ass. So as a five-year-old starting, starting with Taekwondo and then going to Shotokan Karate, and this is pre-Jiu-Jitsu. Like this is before Jiu-Jitsu was even in the United States. You know, by, I, by the time I get to middle school, I find a Japanese jujitsu. I've done Jikundo, Shotokan Karate, Taekwondo, and I find Taikariyakia Jiu-Jitsu. And this was the closest thing to, like Hoist Gracie has not fought yet. And I'm like, this is cool, right? It was Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. So we did do striking, we did do weapons, you know, we had katas. And, um, and that's where I spent the next four or five years into high school. 
I started wrestling and in walks Jake Shields and Chuck Liddell into my little jujitsu gym. And they knew what jujitsu was. And they came in and smashed me in such a way that my brain couldn't even understand how they could so effortlessly maul me. Um, so that was kind of like the martial arts journey. And then I followed them to the pit and concurrently, um, I started fighting in, in every available form of fighting. So Pancrase, San Shao, um, point sparring, grappling tournaments, jujitsu tournaments, wrestling tournaments. Um, again, this was like before MMA had a placeholder name of like the UFC. So I go into Tijuana to do fights for cash. Um, yeah. And they were just fights. You could grapple. We know it now is MMA, but then it was a fight. Um, and then early in high school, one of my best friends died. And what was a really great nucleus of good people that I surrounded with, I wanted nothing to do with that kind of purity. Innocence was lost. So I, I started finding new friends, you know, ones that my parents didn't approve of, you know, like drug dealers um, and violent friends. And uh, so I, I got more and more violent and there's nothing more dangerous than a violent young man that doesn't have a purpose. Especially one who's trained. <laughs> yeah, or getting trained. You know, yeah. I wouldn't even call myself trained yet, but I was definitely more trained than everyone else. Um, and that took me to being a really selfish violent person that uh to answer your question how i ended up in the military was standing on a beach naked um with multiple women pregnant and i i thought i had hiv at the time and uh in morrow bay california with the land behind me and west into the water was fog and uh me swimming a couple miles into the fog no conscious intent of, of suicide. You know, like this is, again, frontal lobe's not fully developed. This is just uh, hopelessness. Um, and I swam into that water with no idea besides just I needed to swim. And uh, a couple of miles out into the fog, I had no idea which way land was. Um, and fog does a really weird thing to your brain. It refracts light. It bounces sound. It muffles things that are close. Like there could have been a rock 10 feet from me and I couldn't have heard it, but the coast, which was two miles behind me where there were waves crashing, sounded like they're on top of me. Mm. So it does really, I, so, yeah, fog is crazy. Um, <laughs> Bermuda Triangle, those stories exist because of fog. And uh, it is, it's a weird thing. It gives you vertigo. And as I was sitting there starting to tread water, there's a foghorn that's on the south side of Morrow Rock. And I'm trying to figure out what direction that is. Because if I can figure out where the foghorn is, I know which direction to swim. Opposites north, south, I'm paralleling the ocean. And obviously east or west is further towards death. And west is, or east is my one chance for, for not drowning. California water is cold. Morrow Bay, California is about 55 degrees. I've been in the drink for about 40 minutes. And... um you know, not hyperthermic yet, but definitely cold. And I hear water slapping on the side of something. And I hear like this low rumbling as a Coast Guard boat cruises up next to me. And this 
captain has his legs hanging over the side of his boat, drinking a cup of coffee, going super slow. I mean, they probably had it in idle, so they didn't run me over. And um, some old woman watched a young man take his clothes off and walk into the water and swim out into the fog. Never met this woman. I don't know who she is. I'm sure she's dead, but he just called her an old woman. Um, and uh, this boat captain, I don't know what the Coast Guard ranks are. I don't even think they're really military. So I'm not gonna even <laughs> dignify him with Burn. a rank. Um, he just looks down and says, what's going on? And like a, a cocky little shit. I was like, I'm swimming. He's like, yeah, I got that, man. You know, um, so what's up with you? So I give him, an executive summary of what's going on in my life. You know, just lost the patriarch of my fam, family, my grandpa who had emphysema and listening to him take a less full breath every breath for two years until he finally dies. You know, the loss of my best friend that I have two different women that are, that are definitely pregnant, a third that I think is pregnant and none of, none of these women are the woman that I'm with and in love with and I'm fairly certain I have AIDS. And uh, so he's like, man, I was going to offer to get you out, but I'm, I'm just going to leave you down there if you think. And I sit there and I'm treading water for a second and just kind of thinking about it. And he's like, I'm going to ask you one time if you want to get out of the drink. And I'm treading water. I'm like, yeah, I'll get out. And uh, he's like, I stopped for a second. And it's like, one time you're going to make one choice. I'm never, you're not going to get this option again. And he's not, he's right. You know, like when you go, when you have those choices of some of them are so clear, I'm going to turn the Titanic or I'm going to not, you know, had they not turned the Titanic, they think that it would have split the iceberg and everyone would have lived. A direct hit would have been fine. If they would have turned it one degree, 30 minutes earlier, 10 minutes earlier, they would have avoided it by miles, you know, but it, it just took uh, one decision and there I was treading and I was like, man, this water's cold. And he leans over and he looks at my tiny shriveled up cock. And he goes, yeah, man, I see that. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, you're brutal. <laughs> so they pull me up. I clamber onto that cold boat, the cold side of that metal. And they give me a Navy wool blanket. And it felt like a million needles. If you felt a real Navy blanket, it's just hundred percent wool and it is so rough and it is so itchy. And your, your skin when you're that cold is so sensitive. And it felt like a million needles were on fire being jabbed. And it was the most wonderful thing I'd ever felt. I was alive. And that was the beginning of me starting to make decisions that ultimately led to me sitting in front of a computer and watching Americans jump to their death out of a building with the option of burning alive or jumping out of the two towers. Um, everybody's seen a picture of the falling man. And if you haven't, Google it right now, the falling man. And I watched that live happen. And, and I was so pathetic. I was so narcissistic. I was so self-absorbed with my problems. Like, all of these God-given talents, all, you know, two parents that loved me and provided every opportunity for me to be successful. And I was consciously making decisions that were circumventing me becoming a useful member of society. And it was like that snap of a realization that like I had to do something. And that was the beginning. I walked to the recruiter on that day on 9-11 and started trying to figure out how to get into special operations. Fuck yeah. 
Yeah. That's a fucking, yeah. that's a big one. And yeah. you're, you're, are you still active duty now? Yeah. Okay. So talk about that. Talk about your career. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, right there, you just said it, you already knew, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to do something special when you got in. Yeah. Um, talk about that, that path. So there, there's a lot of different special operations and each of them have a, a specific job. Um, they end up, it's weird, you know, so many of them, they're all the same person. Right? Like I'm, I'm this, like I'm a duplicate of all of these guys in special operations, depending if they're the SEALs or in, in MARSOC or uh, Green Beret or Delta Force. Um, it's the same person and they just shape the skill set to have to do a specific mission. So when I was trying to figure out what, what, it, what is the thing that I can do, you know, like, and mixed martial artist is it's such a great example of, we are now mixed martial artists, unique athletes. There was a time where you had, you had a grappler, you had a kickboxer, um, but now, you know, like, wh whether it's John Jones or Naganu, like they can grapple. They can wrestle, they can box, they can kickbox, they can, they can do it all. And they can do it at a really, really, really high level. Um, and that, that is the jack of all trades, but master of none is, is an incomplete sentence. But I, I would rather have a jack of all trades than a master of one, because that guy can do so much. And that's what special operations is. And then we just tailor that person to what that specific job is. And I was looking at jobs and I was like, so Green Berets go into enemy held territory and they find people that are sympathetic to the ideas and philosophies of American or our allies and they train them and fight with them. Like that's native, that is savage and that is me. You know, like I have no support, I have nothing. I have my critical thinking and problem solving and I have what I jumped in with, dude. Sign me up for fucking that right now. So I, I, I knew I wanted to be a Green Beret and um, War on Terror is getting spun up. You know, you're learning about these, the horsemen that rode with, you know, like to, to fight along and against the Mujahideen, depending on timelines and, uh, you know, to fight Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and on horseback. I was like, those are the stories that are, are starting to populate and we're hearing about them. And um, you're like one ODA going to Afghanistan. You're like, what the one ODA went into like 12 special forces guys went into Afghanistan at the start of the war. So it's like, now there's just fuel to the fire. And uh, so became an 18 X-ray. I came in as an 11 Bravo infantryman, went to basic training, went to infantry school, then went to airborne school, then went to special forces preparation course, SOPC. Um, and that was the biggest of Tritter. There was about four to 500 of us and they ultimately sent 91 of us to selection. The other ones they, they got rid of. Um, and then we went to selection. You usually, with 100 candidates, you will end up with six to eight that are selected. Um, of that six to eight, you then move on to a year to two long, a year to a two year long training course called the Q course, the qualification course, which is training you how to be a Green Beret. On the completion of that, you earn your Green Beret, you show up on your team and the team is like, you know nothing, you are useless, you are like a nipple on a dude, um, go sit in the corner, shut your mouth, open your ears and eyes and start learning what it really looks like to do this job. And um, Zarkawi was the number two bad guy on the planet. 
Bin Laden was number one, Zarqawi was number two. When I got to special forces, they were launching a special operations task force led by Delta Force to go and hunt Zarqawi and my unit, the seventh special forces group, Sith at the time, commanders in extremist force was assigned to be as part of that mission, which was my first deployment to combat was hunting the number two bad human on the planet, the number one bad guy in all of Iraq. That's the start, man. <laughs> then it got real. Yeah. Then war happened. And so at, at what point did you, I mean, you'd always been training and obviously keeping up on it. And, and I've, I've, I've done been been fortunate enough to do like a dozen trips overseas in support of our troops. And it's cool because we'd have time with, you know, everyday people in the military. And then we'd always get like a day with the special ops guys. Yeah. And I remember like the Dayton Unilist too, like when in the training and things like that, like some, some branches had some forms of ground combat or different things like that. But it was cool how the starting space of everyone, whether they were Navy SEAL or Green Beret, was always so much higher. And I was like, when are you guys doing like, oh, we do this together in our off time. Like they're all fucking into it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a force thing. It was like, hey, we need mats because we're going to do this yep. in our spare time. And yeah. that was always really rad. Yeah, I mean, fighting's fighting. You know, if you, um, gun fighting, knife fighting, fist fighting, like in, in a fight, take a brick or a bat or a gun or a knife out of it. You know, we have ranges, you know, whether I'm in elbow range or I'm in punching range or I'm in kicking range or if I'm in clench takedown range or if I'm um, within my penetrating shot for my double leg range. Like those are all different ranges with angles. When you start adding weapons and tools, you just add additional ranges, but it's still just a fight. And the brain is shaped through adaptation. And the reason that special operations use fighting because it shapes the brain to fight. Like a good fighter is gonna be a good fighter, period. And you can give him any tool. Like you give me a brick, am I any less dangerous than I am with a bat? No, it's just range, but like I know how to fight, you know? Um, and then tailoring those school, those skills to, to be able to use them mo most effectively in range is really where the sweet spot gets, but you have to shape the brain and through adaptation. And that's why special operations, man, like uh, even showing up to the teams, not because I was a fighter, they were fighting three days a week. You know, they had, they had combatives and MMA built into their, their weekly and daily training regiment where they would box, they would wrestle, they would do jujitsu. And uh, they had, we had contracted, you know, Hoist Gracie would come in and um, Greg Thompson would come in, you know, would, would get do like the best in the world to come and train with us because we wanted to be the best. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I awesome. That. I would I would recognize that. I was just like, wow, wow. All right, this is dope. We yeah. can fucking hang. How long yeah. you guys want to hang? Let's yeah. hang. Um, at what point did you? I mean, you had already had some experience before there was a UFC. You'd gotten your fucking feet wet and like the. It, it's funny how much that truly was like the wild west. I remember yeah. getting paid a hundred dollars a fight and yep. raging the cage. Yep. And raging the cage was like a promotion people knew about. Yeah, it was like a thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, this oh he's is, a Rage in the Cage fighter? Yeah, like, he's good. Oh, yeah, big time, right? Yeah. Big time $100 fucking payday. Um, so I, I fully can connect to that. At what point while you're in, do you decide like, I'm going to fucking do this professionally at the highest level? Yeah, so it was, um, it was actually ego. Before I came in, I had stayed pro all the way up until my enlistment date. Um, 
Chuck Liddell in my corner, Matt Hughes as the ref of an eight-man tournament, the Extreme Cage Fighting Championship. I end up winning the middleweight title, an eight-man tournament, three fights in one night. Total pride rules on an Indian reservation. Um, on the completion of that, when I won that, that night, I beat, I beat Jason Mayhem Miller. Uh, Dennis Kang was in the was in the tournament. Um, Cruz Cachon, um, Ryan Narte. I mean, it was like the who's who of back then the fighters and um, real, real cool story in the, in the first fight, I just smash poor Jason May, Mayhem Miller. Like, I mean, I <laughs> smash him and um, but I, I take a glove seam where we went tape and that glove just went right along my eye and, and cut me open. And Chuck, after the fight takes me and sticks me in a broom closet to hide me from the, the medical examiner that was like, as close to as commissioning this fight as you could get. And he left me in a broom closet until he pulled me out to fight this next time. And then I'd fight again and then it'd stick me back in the broom closet until finally I fought for the championship, the, thir the third fight. And, uh, three, like they don't do this anymore. You no. remember these days. Yeah. I never three, got to fight pride rules either. Like I fucking, like, anybody who's in fighting, there's nobody that's like, yeah, UFC rules are better than Pride rules. Like, no, no, said no not. one. No. Said no one. No one Nobody ever. has ever fucking said that. Know. Even being inside of that, you're like, oh no, wait, I can knee you in the head yes. after I sprawl? I can kick you. That's a really good idea. This I can soccer kick idea. you? Yep. That's a, yeah, this is more like a yep. real fight. Yeah. Um, three of those in one night was like a bloodbath. So I win this tournament, um, win two more fights, and then my enlistment date, where I show up to basic training, I'm, I'm ranked top 10 in the world at this point. Yeah, I'm chain, training at the pit. So Glover Teixeira, the current, like right now, light heavyweight champion, one of my training partners, um, Eric Schwartz, Scott Adams left the UFC undefeated. Uh, obviously Chuck, the Iceman, Liddell, I think the most famous light heavyweight champion ever. Yeah, and um, Hackleman, such yeah. a fucking like... <laughs> He's got to be on the Mount Rushmore for coaches. He's one of the oh, best ever. St still producing mm -hmm. coaches. And at the time, we had Antonio Benuelos, um, Cruz Gomez, uh, Jason Von Flew. Uh, like, this is all at one fight camp. Randy Couture, Matt Lindland coming down all the time to train with us. Like, Tito Ortiz just showing up on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like, the pit is the first mega gym. Like now we have fight camps, right? You got Brazilian top team and American top team and you, you have um, the Jackson Winklejohn, you know, but then it was just gyms. Uh, but this was like the first where people were really going to. Um, when I was overseas watching Jake win fights and then win titles and watching Chuck win fights and win titles. And I'm like, it hurt. I, I was where I was supposed to be but I wanted to be having my hand raised and the belt wrapped around me bad, you know, and, and you know, the hunger of, of wanting to compete. Um, even when you retire, that hunger is there. And, and I hadn't like, I'm in the middle of it. You know, like we're training every single day. We're bringing mats with us everywhere that we go. And, uh, and then I'm like, those, those are my peers. Like I, I can hang and and beat these guys. And then watching guys put belts on, I'm like, dude, I smash that guy. Like, I know I smashed that guy. And, uh, then coming back from deployments, trying to figure out, I started fighting again. You know, um, I would take a three or four day leave, a pass from the from the army, which is like a little three day vacation that they, they 
like you're still in the army, but you're allowed to travel outside of the 50 mile radius that you're supposed to stay in. So I would go um, to Georgia or to the nearest Indian reservation to, to get a fight in. And uh, that worked for a little while until I kept winning and I ended up in main events and Sergeant Majors are looking at a shaved head army ranger from North Carolina. And they're like, there's no rangers in North Carolina. <laughs> you know, like, what is, who is this dude? And like, oh, that's one of our guys. And that's, that's when it, the house of cards came crumbling down. But they, at some point they still let you fight, right? Or no. did, that, did that take you taking a leave of absence on a longer term before re-enlisting? Yeah. So I never had a break in service, but they, they, the motto of the Green Berets um, is, is to be a quiet professional. And they felt that those two things were mutually exclusive, that I could not be a main event fighter and be in special operations, especially in the special unit that I was in, you know, a hostage rescue unit that was a, TC, a, uh, a geographic command specific special operations unit. And I was like, well, I mean, clearly it has worked. You know, like the only reason you know about it is because you saw it and you have the access to figure out who I am. Like you, I've been doing this for three years. Like you just didn't know about it. So it does work. And, um, and they, they held their ground and said, no, this, you know, you, you can't have both. You have to, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to choose. Um, so that's where the national guard came in and the national guard was like, bro, you have to have another job when you're in the national guard. So you can come to us and we have two special operation um, groups, 19th group and 20th group. And you can come to us and be a, a special operations guy on SFODA and your civilian job is you can fight. And uh, would you also recruit for us? And I was like, yes, I will. <laughs> so I got my cake and got to eat it too. Yeah, fuck yeah. I it's funny, I still struggle with this, the same question from... 12 years ago, the army still to this day, sometimes I'll have a command that just can't understand it. They don't understand how much opportunity is created with having voices like yours and, and access to millions of people where, man, you, you have a problem, you have a message that needs to get out. Like, I can do that. Like the army is so slow to change and... um I'm currently deal, dealing with the same problem, like as we speak. It's funny. Yeah, it's like the uh, science science changes with every funeral in medicine, or something like that. You know, like that. Yeah. That's all. Only when it when the the old guard changes literally yeah. through death. Yeah. Does the new science come in? New science. Well, okay. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking in a hundred different ways here, but um, I wanted to talk. You talked about hostage rescue and going to Sheepdog. You know, you had brought in a sex trafficking survivor, a woman who was fucking brilliant. And uh, she got to tell her story, you know, and we had seen quite a few videos, you know, of how those operations take place. And, you know, for, I had heard of this shit, but until like you see it, you kind of don't know, you know? And I, and I remember watching that and just how hard that hit me, you know? And, and really, I want to dive into that, but I also want to dive into like the why behind Sheepdog, because I think like one now more than ever, it's a critical point to make that decision. Do yeah. you want to be a protector and somebody who can help and aid others? Or do you want to just, you know, sit back on your fucking sofa, twiddle your thumbs and pray everything goes all right? It's a cool time to be alive. 
Uh, I know there's a lot of hate and shade being thrown every direction about like, this generation, but via the pandemic and all the civil unrest at the end of the Trump era, um, you know, the riots, BLM, all, all of that, people were scared. And it was the first time that I saw Americans not comfortable. And comfort creates complacency, period. It's just what happens. It's the nature of the beast where we're comfortable. You look at a fucking dog, like a dog was once a wolf, right? A dog once could take down an elk. A pug at one point <laughs> was able to murder a moose, right? That could fight with bears. And now it's a pug, right? So <laughs> comfort, all, all, all that it had to do is walk into a fire to get one meal from one native. And now here we are. Um, it's no different with our species. We have we have canines, right? Like we're, we're capable of great violence. We're capable of having, even though they're not trained, the 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 senses of being able to be a real predator um, or a protector. And there is something powerful about somebody that cannot allow evil to happen in front of them. You know, there, there's one of the Edmund Burke lines where for equal for evil to conquer, it takes good men to do nothing. Um, I'm paraphrasing that. It's, um, look it up, it's a really great quote. And I, I could not believe that to be true. I mean, like that is infused in my DNA because I've seen it in every way that a human can see it. At war, in law enforcement, as a firefighter, as an EMT, as a son watching my father do it, as a brother to my amazing bomb FBI bomb tech detective sergeant that is my brother. Like I'm surrounded by these heroes. Um, there's Shane coming in. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> my workout partner. <laughs> yeah, brother. Um, you Good can't hear him, but it's my my buddy's <laughs> helicopter flying in. The um, like I, I I know it to be true, but no no one else knew it. Not no one, but most of the general. Americans were just so comfortable and complacent. And, uh, you know, good times make weak men, weak, weak men make hard times, hard times make hard men and hard men make good times. And that cycle, we were definitely in this comfortable, complacent, um, weak men had, had now made hard times. And um, now we're having to deal with the consequences of that, where people are telling, being able to tell us how I'm going to live my life and how my children are going to go to school and what things are going to be injected in their body and how much of their faces they're going to have to cover. And I was like, when, when could somebody tell me to do this? And it was because we just got comfortable and, and fearful. Well, I say we loosely because there's this group of people, an ever-growing group, the largest group that I've ever seen in my lifetime of people starting to wake up, people feeling because... And I hope they never forget that feeling of, am I going to be able to feed my family? Can I even make it to the store to find food? There's not enough toilet paper on the shelf. Do I have to like retrofit my shower to be able to wash my butthole? Like these were all things that all of Americans were fearful. Can I even get food on my table? Is this riot going to come to the suburbs and they're going to burn my house down? I remember thousands of emails, like, what do I do? And I was like, you train. You know, like I was never scared. I was like, this is <laughs> like, fucking, here's my address. <laughs> yeah, like, Let's go. Come on, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and not because there's some ignorant bravado. It's because I was truly prepared. And the, the word prepper was this really negative thing five years ago. 
Now it's a badge of honor. Oh, and it's, and oddly enough, it's one of the things Facebook censors yeah. amongst all the big tech, right? They like don't you, you want look up, individuals to be strong and free. Yeah, that they don't should want fucking it. raise the hair on the back of your head. If you're looking up like uh, how to can your own food, yeah. Like how Terrorist. to make your own pemmican. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this this has been flagged for what? Yeah, to, you, what? To can food? Yeah. How to pickle stuff, how to cure meat. Those are all things that, that big tech looks specifically at. There's a reason for it because a strong society, healthy citizens are going to do what they want to do. And that is the foundation of being an American is that we're going to do what we want to do. It's the way our, constitu- our constitution was written. It was so that the individual, the smallest unit, down to the one person, to the one family unit, has the strength and the ability to do anything. But at that time when it was written, those motherfuckers were carving their existence out of the wilderness, right? They were taking a flag and they're planting it on no man's land. And they're gonna fight bears and whatever else existed for them to be able to exist, just to exist. And those were the people that that beautiful constitution was written. Then we got comfortable, then we got complacent. And then it took a revolution for us to remember what it meant to be strong, right? It took us throwing some tea into a harbor and a massacre for us to be like, nope, nope, we're not gonna do it. We're gonna, we're gonna stand up because we're strong individually. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and then it took us reading about this dude with this creepy mustache marching people into ovens and cooking them for us to remember that we are strong. And I hope that we have remembered that we're strong, but we got to wake up, man. We got to start doing some work. Yeah. There's, it's almost like, um, because of how easy life has become, there's a disconnect from the potential of real threat. We've never seen war on our land, right? We've never, most people in the West have never seen war come to them. It's a little easier in Europe to be like, Hey, my spider sense is tingling. Yeah. Something's fucked up right now. Yeah. You know, but Hungary, for- Ukraine, <laughs> Romania, like right now, they're like, ah, we've been here before. Yeah. You know, like they're yeah. already fully prepped in unconventional warfare and guerrilla warfare because they generationally have been tra- have been training it. You know, like, yeah, yeah. We, we, Alternate I wish economies, we- all the good yep. stuff, right? They they know they know their farmers. They know whatever they fucking need. They know that guy by name. You know, and I think that's that's such an important piece of that. But, um, but here I can't pick up my phone and have Uber Eats deliver me something. I'm going to lose my mind, right? Like I can't go get my co- Cottonelle two-ply uh, toilet paper and I'm going to start rioting, you know, like it's just insanity. There was a meme that I saw recently uh, with Abe Lincoln as the, the avatar. And it just said, you know, it went from two weeks to flatten the curb to, to flatten the curve to uh, you don't take the jab, you lose your job to, if you protest against us, we're going to freeze your bank accounts. Yeah. And yet we're still the conspiracy theorists. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, when you anyone, bullet point it like that, yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. most people deny that that's even happening. They deny you the, can't, the you can't, there's any, any, like anyone that's denying it, um, it, they, they're the confirmation bias of them trying to still live in that comfortable complacency is now reaching a threshold of, idiotic and and beyond dangerous. Like they are freezing bank accounts. They are, when I say they like Justin Trudeau, we'll just name name the tyrant right now. He is taking millions of dollars from what he now calls illegal actions, which was an absolute legal, peaceful protest. Like they're hugging, they're cooking. There's nothing going on here that is illegal. And he has frozen assets, private bank accounts. He's 
NFTs shut down any form of money that they had or commerce that they were able to raise, shut it all down and confiscated it all. Like those are actions of a dictator and a tyrant. And who would have ever thought that Canada could do that thing, right? I mean, they're not only our allies, they're our neighbors and they share a whole bunch of political and financial uh, similarities with our own government. So we are very close. And I hope Trudeau is the tipping point, the first domino to fall in a long list of tyrants. But um, the only way that that falls is if people continue to stand up to him. Yeah. And standing up wherever you can, you know, the, the, the quarantine camps that have been built in Austria and Australia and uh, Italy and all these different places. And so many people just don't, if it's, if it's hard to connect the dots, one of the things that I love him or hate him, I love him. One of the things that I loved about Jordan Peterson was that he brought to the mind that in world war two, that was yesterday. So like those evil people, how could they do that? Like that's us. And you can say like, but you have to recognize that, right? Like uh, even like on a spiritual level, conversations with God, the guy says, you have to own something before you can disown it. If you deny it even exists, you cannot disown it, right? We have to recognize humanity right now. It's not like we've, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution has taken place and we're we're a different humanity. Like that's the same fucking humanity. It's less than a hundred years ago. You know, like that does exist. It didn't go away. And I think like one of the, one of the prime things from from uh, like the myth era is to understand like the head of Hydra is multiple heads. Like you fucking get rid of the Nazis, like there's fucking multiple heads yeah. of this thing. Yeah, understand it's still there. You know, and dangerous ideas. Um, you can't kill them. You, you you have to beat them with better ideas, and those ideas are being censored, and that that. And we're at a really pivotal moment in history where voices like Joe Rogan's and, and, and voices like J.P. Sears and yours and Aubrey's are so important because when speaking the truth is the thing that is being censored um, or a conflicting opinion or perspective is the one that is being drowned out by noise or tech, how do you beat bad ideas? You know, like, okay, if, well, if this science is old, but you're not allowing the new science, new, it's just truth. Um, if you're not allowing that to, to be read, like I'm just gonna suppress this or I'm gonna censor this or I'm not gonna release it, the newest CDC, we're not gonna release um, any of our findings about the vaccines because they feel that it would further anti-vax movements. Like, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> like you just yeah. said- Come again? Yeah, say that one more time. Like that, I, I said that in quotations because that is the exact headline that I read yesterday. Um, we as the consumer, we as the population, we as the citizen, the citizen is the most powerful thing in this country. And we cannot forget that. We can shape- what happens with our voices, with our votes, and um, with our protests. And we have to stay true to our values. I mean, without any compromise. Like my values are my values and they are black and white. And there's not like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll do five shots, but not six. You know, like, no, man, 
that's that's not how this works. You know, no, you cannot, I don't care what you say. My two-year-old, I get to choose what happens to her body until she's old enough to choose what happens to her body. And then it's her choice. You know, but you don't, you and no one else gets to be involved in that decision because my job is to protect her and to enrich her and to nurture her and to build her to be the strongest, most capable, empowered human that she can be, not you. Your job is to stay the fuck out of my way. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, I mean, you look at people, uh, the sick people in white lab coats that are trying to tell you what health is, is just like, wait, come on. You're obese. Your skin is flaky. Your eyes are retreated into your head. You cannot talk to me about health. Yeah. Go back, go back to that lab you came from. Yeah. It's not there. One thing I wanted to bring up and uh, I was debating last night, like, can I even hold it together? Maybe I can't. (laughs) Um, There's been a lot that I've seen in the last two years and it became really hard to decipher like what's real, what's been added to. Like, you know, um, is Trump a good guy or is that just QAnon? You know, and and I've kind of settled in my own opinions on certain things, but there's been a lot of talk about our borders in Texas, you know, and uh, I couldn't tell if that's party politics or if that is a fucking real issue, you know, and I said, I guess I'll just prepare myself and, and see what happens. Watching those, uh, like four days ago, I was at a park in my fucking complex with my son and my daughter and uh, a car parked on the street. You know, if you live in the fucking complex, you walk your kids to the park. The car parks on the street. Uh, an old Mexican woman gets out with a young Mexican boy. No big deal that they're Mexican. Fucking some of my best friends are Mexican. All my training partners at AKA are Mexican. They had masks on. Some people wear masks, usually not in my neighborhood, but it was kind of curious. Um, my dog runs up barking at him. He never, he'll bark at me walking through the door. He doesn't bark at anyone when he's off leash. So I was like, huh. And um, kid runs up and, you know, my son's six. Most kids, most kids take a minute to warm up. He runs straight up to him, pulls down his mask, says, hey, you want to play? And my son's like, fuck yeah, let's play. Minus the F-bomb. And um, we're going up and down the slide with with my daughter and um, they're playing tag on the playground. And then he says, hey, let's play hide and seek. And so my son starts counting. And I watched this kid run way the fuck off the playground behind this giant dumpster that's 50 yards away. And it's right next to the pool parking lot. And I'm like, where's this kid going? And I'm like half in denial of anything being weird. And I look over and sure enough, the grandma's on her phone texting somebody. Now another car pulls up in that fucking parking lot. And I was just fucking lit on fire, you know, lit the fuck on fire. Like literally in my backyard, I'm looking at this and, and, you know, I just said bear and I started yelling for him and he came back to me and, uh, you know, at the same time, the lady yells for her kid and and it was just fucking in the moment. There were so many things where I was just like, no, that's not, 
that's not what's going on here. And maybe it wasn't what was going on, but that's it, what was going on there. Yeah. You know? And, uh, we walked by, you know, person in the fucking car. I walked by her. She's got a mask on. She's on her phone texting. And I'm like, dude, there's fucking every strike of every video I've watched with you, Tim. It checked every fucking box. The most, the most truthful thing here is the sixth sense that when we talked about people being trained, the sixth sense is real. And it is accurate. We talked about this in the protector course that you, that you were in. It is, it is a real thing that we used to be able to walk in the woods and feel that there was a jaguar looking at us, that there was a pack of wolves silently moving next to us, that we were being tracked by a different tribe. Like that was infused in our DNA and we were able to do it. And we have suppressed that for generation after generation. Thank God, Kyle, you are who you are, that you have fought and that you have trained, that you have a mind that is acute, that you weren't on your phone, that you're a loving parent, that whose eyes were up, that weren't sitting there on Pinterest or flipping through TikToks or whatever bullshit things people do these days. You're actually looking at bear. Because that kid would have gone and you'd never see him again. That would have been it. You'd have been screaming his name and there's no answer forever. You were one heartbeat away and you fucking saved your son's life. I can't talk about the border because of what I'm doing right now. Um, it is a humanitarian crisis that is indescribable. And it is a humanitarian crisis that is being capitalized by the cartels in the most horrific warlike ways of making money off of people, off of drugs, and off of guns. And um, it is calculated, it is strategic, and it is nightmarish at a level that no one can talk about. I, I, I literally can't talk about it. Like I, I just gave you the high bullet points that you can Google and they're all there. And it's, it's crazy. Yeah, brother. Well, I, I ended up knowing I was going to bring that up because it is here. You know, I hear Facebook groups and shit like that of people getting fucking kind of hunted in a Whole Foods parking lot. And I'm like, yeah. all right, you know, and then going to take your course. I was like, man, I just fucking discounted that because I didn't want it to be true. Yeah. You know? And, um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing, brother, because, you know, it, my son's with me, you know? Yeah. I is, uh, I'm not scared of anything. I'll run through that window, set this building on fire. Shane's on the other side. I will, I will have my flesh fall off my body. But the thought of losing one of my children, I, I don't know. Like I can never reconcile what that fear of, I don't even know how to, I fucking love you. Thank you for being you, man. I love you, brother. Yeah. Well, fuck. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> I'd fucking keep you here for three hours, but we're both busy as all hell. And um, let's just let's just close off with what you've got coming up because you've been busting your ass night and day. I think you've got six or seven full time jobs that you do. Um, you've been really trying to hone in a home space at the same time building a school. And, and let's talk about these things. You got a grand opening coming up. Yeah. Next weekend is the grand opening to Sheepdog Response. Um, it's the the mission statement of that company is to equip and train people to preserve and protect human life. Like if that doesn't sum up what my purpose is as a human, to equip, equip and train you and every other person out there to be able to protect their children, their family from a tyrannical government, from a kidnapper, from a cartel member, from a rapist, insert whatever those threats are, school shooters, like the list goes on. And, and we're living in a more and more dangerous society where these things are occurring more and more frequently 
because we are becoming softer and softer. Well, the only way that you can fight evil that is strong is with good strength. And that is not weak, complacent, soft-bodied, weak-minded men and women. Those are strong, capable minds that are equipped and prepared to protect and preserve human life. So that's Sheepdog Response, grand opening next weekend. Our school is just blowing up. It is uh, So Apogee Cedar Park is our private school and I have Apogee Strong, which is a young men's mentorship online program. And Apogee, the, the ideas around all of these things, the nucleus is really just about having a strong society and a strong citizen. And that starts at the, the youngest level. So Apogee Cedar Park, um, we are opening middle school this spring. Um, so we're taking applications right now. We're opening two more elementary studios starting this fall. And we're trying currently to find a campus to open another location because we have grown out of our first location in three months. And uh, so like, it's happening, man. People are waking up. People are like, I'm done with schools telling me what I'm going to do with my kids. I'm done with them telling me how I'm going to educate them. Um, parents and citizens are are getting their groove back. And, I, and, I, and I'm here to stand with them shoulder to shoulder. I've done this my whole entire life. And uh, I will give you every resource that I have and every bit of knowledge to, to better prepare you to be able to preserve and protect human life and to save your, your family. Okay, brother. Yeah. I love you, Tim. Love you, man.